the Trump administration implemented substantial changes to immigration policy, many of which were harmful to the health and well-being of immigrant children. Moving forward, immigrant children living in the United States will require support to heal from traumatic experiences and to learn and grow. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Dr. Nancy Yuen Wong, Associate Director of Pediatric Emergency Medicine at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Wong has co-authored a perspective article about repairing harms inflicted on immigrant children. Dr. Wong, what does the asylum-seeking process currently look like for families and children who arrive at the U.S.-Mexico border? How often are they granted entry, and how long do they typically have to wait to enter the United States? So the asylum-seeking process has changed dramatically over the last couple of years. All people have a right to seek asylum, and in the past, this involved presenting at a port of entry. During the Trump administration, a lot of these due process measures had been reversed and changed so that families couldn't even present to even seek asylum. A lot has been undone, again, by the Biden administration, but due to large numbers and surges in people presenting at the border, the process is very backlogged. What I can speak to is especially unaccompanied children. Unaccompanied children should never be turned back from the border. During Trump, many times they had been, and now the Biden administration is accepting those children into the United States. The families, however, are still being expelled. I can't tell you the numbers presently about that. Once children and families are in the United States, to what extent do they have access to health care and social services? And how much does that depend on their documentation status or other factors? So that's a very important question and probably one of the themes of our perspective. Once asylum-seeking children are allowed into the United States, usually to await their asylum proceedings, which can take up to years, the resources that they are given access to depends largely on where they end up. So as we stated in our article, there are only a limited number of states that provide services to immigrant children regardless of their status. Other children, if they go to one of these other states, oftentimes will have to wait for services, don't have access to services. In your perspective article, you and your colleagues mentioned your experience observing and caring for migrant children. In what settings have you seen these children, and what have you learned about the challenges to health and well-being that are associated with the migration process? Sure. So I and my co-authors have had the privilege of interviewing, observing, and caring for children in all states of their migration journey. We have seen them in detention as well as in Mexico under the Migrant Protection Protocols, or what we call the Remain in Mexico policies. And then in our daily practice, we take care of children who have been allowed into the country. I, in the emergency department and in voluntary capacities, Dr. Matlow in his clinic, and Dr. Shapiro also in his clinic, which is a clinic that has a medical legal partnership for immigrant children. You write that past and current immigration policies have placed many children in a state of chronic stress. So what's known about the long-term effects of such stress in children and in immigrant children in particular? Yeah, so I think that 
the elucidation of toxic stress is critically important because it really places a burden and a responsibility on medical people because we've elucidated the harms that can be the physiologic and anatomic harms and changes that occur for children who are exposed to chronic stress that is unmitigated by a caring adult. It has been shown that toxic stress affects the neuroendocrine pathways of a child's response. It can actually rewire the brain and it can give way to immediate effects of stress, including hypervigilance, anxiety, fear, deterrence, and also it increases the fight or flight response, which can be protective in the short term and then detrimental in the long term. With increased inflammatory markers in the body, there's long-term risk of physical problems, including stroke, cancer, and other conditions. I think it's really important, though, to know that this is not deterministic. So the experiences that children and families have does not mean that they definitely will have these problems, but we know that there is a propensity to develop ongoing mental health and health issues. And because of that, we have an obligation to put into place and provide services that will help children and their families regain their health and not suffer these consequences. In your article, you describe several recommendations to help mitigate the trauma faced by migrant children, including minimizing the amount of time that migrants spend in detention, and reconsidering allowing children, but not entire families, to enter the United States. What kinds of policy solutions would be needed to make those changes? So minimizing the time in detention is really trying to provide for case management when children first arrive at the border. So for example, right now, there are large surges of children at the border and now in emergency influx shelters in the United States. And there is a need to start processing these children, finding their sponsors, and that probably would be the biggest way to get children out of detention. Now, it's important to process children and to make sure that they're able to go to a safe sponsor and that the conditions that they will be going to are appropriate. So there is an amount of processing that is needed. It's been argued that having child experts and child welfare, people who are a little bit more experienced in child welfare, um, helping with case management and placement of children would be very important. But presently, my understanding is that there's also a, a large need for case managers at the border to help children get to their sponsors. In the past administration, it was argued that detention was kind of used as a deterrent and almost punitively, but I don't think I'll talk about that now because I hope that that situation has changed. Reconsidering very carefully allowing children to come into the United States as opposed to family, it's important to understand the conditions that children and families are coming from. The families and the children have been exposed to conditions of huge poverty and huge violence that out of desperation, they've migrated to the border. So I think it's really important to put ourselves into the shoes of immigrant families and see what it would take for one of us to send our young children 
on a journey across thousands of miles by themselves to seek protection in a foreign country. Also, what it would take for a family to relocate with all of their possessions. And then if they're not allowed in the border, as we described in our perspective piece, the situations at the border are not safe. And families and communities have been subject to assault or worse. And families might choose to send their children across the border unaccompanied rather than keep the family intact at the border to enter as a family. Finally, what policies and structures are needed to support immigrant children who are already in the United States? And what can individual physicians do to promote the health and well-being of these children? All of the focus currently is at the border. But what we're advocating for is to really think about when children and families are allowed into the United States, what are the structures and the policies that they need to have a successful, thriving life. And health insurance and access to health and medical care is vital for health. And preventive care costs little and has also been shown to be helpful to health. And especially for children, access to just plain health insurance, I think, is vital and has not been addressed for immigrants as a whole. I think that a lot of the health care is offered on kind of a patchwork state-by-state -state basis. And so what is required is a comprehensive access to health care. Also, it's important to realize that children and family also need access to other resources. So for example, many of the immigrants, when they're allowed in, are not allowed to work legally. And if you cannot support your family, then you have the potential to live in poverty, be homeless. And again, these aren't resources that are needed. And the resources aren't very expensive. We as a community need to realize that these children and families have been through situations that many of us can't imagine. And the resources that they need to thrive in our communities are not very large. And as medical and healthcare professionals, I think the important thing is to, again, emphasize that children require equity of healthcare and services on par with citizen children while they're waiting in the United States for their asylum cases to be heard. Thank you, Dr. Wong.